Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hi, my name is Jeremy Lightning, and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. I'm here with Zuar, father of Nethanel, the tribal chief of Issachar. And our guest today is uh, Mr. Paul Patterson. Welcome, Paul. Thank you very much, Jeremy. We're glad to have you here. We wanted to talk about um, your experience as a teacher in our Lutheran grade schools, as a principal, as an administrator for our uh, commission on Lutheran schools. And uh, I first met Paul when I was a vicar at Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, where he was the principal of of the grade school. And uh, we've been good friends ever since. Uh, And how how did you first meet Paul? I well, f- my first question for Paul before I get to that is, so Paul, are you related to Jeremy or Abby? I don't really believe that I'm related. No. Oh, okay, I'm just checking that for, with all of our guests from now on. I first met Paul when Abby is my wife, by the way. Yeah, when we uh, called Paul to be our principal here, he drove to my house and said uh, hello to me and uh, asked me if I knew which church I was going to join, and I just said. Uh, which church has every Sunday communion? And uh, Water of Life ended up being the church with every Sunday communion, so that's the one I joined. And, and weren't they also in the middle of going through a Bible study on a Lutheran confession? Uh, that could be. That's right. So one of the things I remember about the conversation I had with Paul when we called him, and I know you remember this, uh, so when I, call, when I told you, Paul, that you had been you received the call to be the principal at Wisconsin Lutheran School in Racine. What was the first thing you said? I, I don't know if I remember. I think, what's Wisconsin Lutheran School? Well, or? you talked about, well, uh, well, one of the things you, you talked about was being confessional. Hmm. So, so then the question, based on what Jeremy said, of leaving Sun Prairie, you know, why would you leave the nirvana of Sun Prairie to move to Racine, Wisconsin. I think those were my wife's words, actually, not mine. Okay. <laughs> but why? But, but why would you leave to come here to a choice school? Well, I wanted uh, to have the opportunity to craft a choice school um, and and be still proudly Lutheran to um, share with the people that came to us that. Uh, the Lutheranism is really a reflection of what Christianity is. We reflect Jesus' love in the things that we do, and uh, we want to proclaim freely that they are forgiven of sins. And um, didn't want to hide from the Lutheran name, and I wanted to make that a big part of who we were. And But why is that an emphasis based on maybe other schools that you had seen in the well, past? Well, there is a trend in some of our schools to go away from having a Lutheran name as if uh, the Lutheran name excludes certain people. And I just think like all things in Lutheranism, we have to explain what they mean and we have to define who we are and what our practices mean so that people understand and appreciate them. And Jesus himself would define his ministry as exclusive, that he was very inclusive of a lot of different types of people. And in fact, we'll be studying that in our gospel today. But um, also, he says, whoever is not for me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. So there, there is an exclusivity. Are you on, are you on our side or are you not? Well, and, and with that, I just had a conversation with the first evangelical pastors downtown that we share the school with because this is going to be the first year that I've been here. We're going to have a really big uh, worship service together. Besides the Epiphany and Ascension Festival, we're going to do an outdoor service together. And I asked the two, Pastor Reckley and Pastor Day, said, what do you guys think about having communion at this service? And I said, I'll... Re- I'll go last with my opinion. Pastor Day laughed. He said, oh, we already know your opinion. <laughs> and and the thing is, is because sometimes I think we hide that Lutheranism. We, well, well, one of the first things that I did was uh, um, put up a Luther seal in all of our different campuses so that when people would come for a tour, um, I would show them. I said, we are a Lutheran school, and that means we have specific teachings that we um, proclaim, and we want your kids to learn them too. So that's a big part of who we are. And if that's not something you're interested in, then then perhaps our school isn't the the best school for you to choose. And yeah, so what I was talking about with the pastors is, I think sometimes churches will hide who we are with communion. You know, we have a big festival service or an outdoor service or 
Easter, Christmas, we're going to have visitors, so let's not have communion. Well, that just pushes it off to the next week when you have to have that conversation because hopefully they'll come back. And what I talk to the pastors about and why I think it's important for this conversation is I told them we have families in our school that really don't see the difference between Lutheranism and the churches that they belong to. They kind of go to their church and their church doesn't have a school, so we become their church's school. And I said, communion, you know, the way we practice it, closed communion says, we are different than you are. And uh, we want you, and I said, whoever is the pastor that's giving the uh, introduction to the communion service and explaining closed communion needs to say, it's not we're saying no. You know, you, it's not, no, you can't take communion. It's not yet. And take the classes with our school chaplain or the pastors to learn about the same Lutheranism that we're teaching in the classrooms to your, to your students. I think you have to craft those messages carefully because um, it is offensive. But, um, you know, as we can see from our reading in Luke today, um, Jesus was definitely offending people with the things that he was doing. So we just have to be careful that they understand what we're doing and why. So one of the things I want to ask you, Paul, well, first, I, I went biking with one of our school teachers this morning. And I said, hey, Paul's going to be on our, our guest on our podcast today. He goes, Patterson? I said, yeah, do you remember who he is? <laughs> I think you're just giving me a hard time because I left you two years ago. Well, that could be. <laughs> so would you like to... Exp- or did you have a point you wanted to make? <laughs> well, I'm right. point that it's coming. Is, uh, do you have any good stories of discipline in your schools? Because you've been a principal at how many different schools? I was a principal for 25 years in three different schools. Um, I was a principal in uh, rural Minnesota um, at a congregation where the town had no stoplights. I was in uh, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Um, our school started in the church basement, and then we eventually uh, built a big building on the outside of town, and then here at Wisconsin Lutheran School in the in the semi-urban setting of Racine. So do you have any good discipline stories that you can think of? And then, Jeremy, I'm going to ask you the same question, because... I heard about your diaper story, and I want you to share the diaper story because that's a that's a classic. You know, it, it kind of just depends on on what you're you're thinking about with with discipline. If if you're meaning discipline, like I, I had to have a student in my office and scolding him, uh, or or that kind of thing. There there's all kinds of different realms, but I I think you know. Um, when I was here in Racine, we had um, one of our backboards um, got bent because the students were all uh, throwing half court shots. And, uh, the gentleman who was helping serve as our athletic director, he really wanted to find out who it was. So I kind of narrowed it down. And, uh, when the, the young man said, no, it wasn't me. And I said, well, I just talked to all of these other people. They were in the gym at the same time this young man was throwing those, the shots. And so he just looked down and I just said, you don't have to pay for the basketball hoop. All we're looking for is for you to apologize. And uh, so the kind of thing with uh, discipline is I recall when I was in Sun Prairie, I heard a, a mom say, no, you be quieter. We're going to get Mr. Patterson to come out here and yell at you. Um, that's not that's not really discipline. You know, um, discipline is is applying God's law um, and tenderizing hearts so that when they hear the gospel um, and they're ready to understand that. And um, we, we try a lot of things, especially here in the semi-urban setting of Racine, to to set ourselves up so that we would stay calm no matter what was going on with students, so that when we spoke to the students, the the gospel would be that sweet reminder of God's love and forgiveness. Because well, what I was thinking of is one of the stories I shared that you had shared with me, and you can correct me if I have the details wrong because it's mm-hmm. been a while, is uh, it was about things going on in the bus, and the bus driver told you, and you were calling students in to your to your office asking the same kind of questions, who did this and so forth, and trying to get them to admit it and repent, own up to it, all in the in the background that you had seen the video mm. and you knew exactly who it was, right? Yeah, I, I rarely would have interviews with students before I knew all the information. Yeah. I would I would do all my investigation first and then bring the students in and ask them the questions. And then when they would they would oftentimes bend the truth, I would say, I just wanted to let you know that that I did watch the video of the bus um, today. And then that usually 
that usually all the armor cracked and and uh, there was they were ready to hear what I had to say. Yeah. Um, I have had on three different occasions to leave a student uh, with their, their sin latched to them, where they were unwilling to, um, by the end of the school day, say that they were sorry, and 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 had to use the unpleasant function of the keys and tell them, well, you aren't forgiven. Um, and we are going to have to have this and continue this discussion the next day. And I didn't sleep well any of those three times because uh, that's not a pleasant a pleasant job or a pleasant task. I guess I never realized that throwing half court shots could bend a backboard. It, it bent the uh, the part that held the net and it bent it right down. Uh, mm-hmm. So, can you share your diaper story? Okay, so. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, it might have struck you as odd or strange that um, when uh, uh, Pastor uh, Schmidt was here from Caledonia, I just asked him this random question about cussing, and uh, he he had a great conversation about it, but it was because I had been in the high school hallways hearing some uh, four-letter words fly around on occasion, and uh, so finally what I did about it is after I gave chapel one day, uh, I made a post-chapel announcement where I asked everybody, uh, please raise your hand if you still wear diapers. And uh, there were actually three or four guys in the very back row of the bleachers who raised their hands and were trying to joke around, but uh, I didn't pay any attention to them. And then uh, my point was simply, Okay, so none of you wear diapers. You've all been potty trained. You've somehow learned how to control what comes out of your other end. Uh, Please make every effort to control what comes out of your mouth when it comes to the language that you use, uh, because there's a reason we call it potty language. And uh, if you can't control that, then uh, you really know better than a a baby who uh, needs to wear diapers. And, and the way that Pastor Lightning can get away with that is is that he has a relationship with so many of those kids. And I think that's one of the most important things when you're talking about discipline is I'm not just a scary guy in my office who comes out and growls at kids. Uh, my students saw me in their classrooms every week, and I was out on their playground playing with them, and I was out on the fields coaching them. So it, it was um, you, you, uh, you discipline from that relationship um, and, and talking about how the relationship is broken, not just between the two of you, but between you and their Savior. And I think once that relationship is established, you can go many um, places, whether it's humorous like that or not, um, to, to bring about the, the needed repentance. And, and the reason I ask about that story, because Bell has recounted it to Shelley and myself, and I said, that's awesome. And, and she tells me that when kids are still messing around and using foul language, they'll, they'll call each other out and they'll say, do you need a diaper? <laughs> so they remember, they remember that story. And what you were talking about, Paul, because you, you've taken lots of classes and taught lots of people how to do discipline and teach properly. But one of the few things I picked up, and I don't do this so much anymore with our school chaplain, taking a lot of the role of the counseling and discipline with the children. But before he got here, because my office is here with the Early Childhood Center of Preschool through Second Graders, I would be called in sometimes. And one of the things that I would do with the little kids because there are some of the few ones that I'm actually still taller than, is uh, when I was giving the law to them, I would stand up. And so, and then when they repented and they admitted what they had done and they were sorry, then I would get down on their level, whether it was sitting or kneeling next to them to give them that forgiveness. Just that whole mindset, just like we do in Lutheran worship of the way the pastor stands and faces the altar or faces the congregation, the way the congregation stands and sits at different times of the service, it all conveys a message. And I think the same thing when we're dealing with our own children in our homes, a large student body at Shoreland or one-on-one in a classroom. I'm, since I'm over six feet, I generally have to sit to talk to the kids, so yeah. uh, I don't have to uh, worry about that. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I, I stop liking them when they're like get to be about fifth or sixth grade because that's <laughs> when they get to be taller than me. Um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your new position since you're no longer in a classroom or an uh, active principal. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about what it's like working for the Commission on Lutheran Schools and what you do there? 
Uh, yeah, technically, I work for the Conference of Presidents. Uh, my call is uh, through that group. And so um, my role as the uh, Associate Director of Wells Lutheran Schools and the Executive Director of Wells School Accreditation is is to support our district presidents in, in the work that they do and to strengthen our Lutheran schools. And so um, I generally, um, from October to April, am preparing call lists anywhere between 1 and 15 a week. Um, last year, uh, we did over 1,300 call lists um, within our Senate, and, and we, we ended the season with 300 vacancies. Um, um, God be praised that uh, through our graduates and people stepping out and congregations finding other ways, we're down to 85 vacancies. Um, but there's still 85 classrooms without a teacher for next year, so we have a lot of work to do. Um, we do other things, uh, like I, I said, with accreditation. I'll go to do um, visit schools. I was in South Dakota. I was in um, Los Angeles. I was in Hortonville, Wisconsin, visiting schools as um, the accreditation chair, where I would um, inspect their self-study and then say if it measures up to the standards of our accreditation. Um, another thing that I do is in supporting Lutheran schools is uh, uh, teachers or principals will call in with uh, questions or concerns, and we field those. Uh, we just put on a uh, the Wells National Lutheran Teacher Convention um, in the Ingle at uh, Pewaukee in the Ingleside Hotel, and we had 400 teachers there hearing about education and um, some of the better ways to teach our students. So Did you, I saw your uh, picture at district convention with the other members of the Commission on Lutheran Schools. Did you did you see his picture at district convention? I must have missed that. I must have stepped oh. out for that oh. part. <laughs> you stepped out pretty far, I'm I think. I stepped out pretty far. <laughs> uh, Panama City Beach. Yeah, they, now um, so many of the districts want videos because they don't want uh, the boring administrators to get up and talk too long. And so um, I think the videos are longer, though. So uh, yeah, the, it's yeah, the, joke, videos, yeah. the joke is on them, I think. So, so again, the teacher I was biking with today, Paul, he asked what because I asked him what kind of questions should I ask Paul? And he said one of the questions should be, so what is it like not to have three months off during the summer? <laughs> it's like Jeremy has three months off just to work in his backyard. Yeah. Well, he's going to invite me to his beer garden. The way you're talking to him, I don't know if he's going to invite you to his beer garden. Um, but, um, you know, it is, it's strange to go from a school calendar to a corporate calendar. Um, teachers, pr probably many people know this, but for those of you who don't, probably put in between 55 and 70 hours a week throughout the school year. And so their summers are a little bit more relaxed so that they can recharge and, uh, you know, just get ready for the school year. So um, there's a lot more flexibility in the three months that we have off. But uh, I get to go uh, year-round and uh, request vacation days and, and the whole ball of wax. Just so, like a regular? Just like a regular old person. So uh, Jeremy had mentioned this before, and you said this with the teacher shortage. Are you part of the teacher shortage task force? I get to um, advise from the outside. Um, the Synod President, Mark Schrader, um, put that task force together, and there's just one of the people from our team, Jim Rodeman, who's on that. And, and what, is it, um, what is it about? They're essentially looking at everything from recruitment to retention to what does the data say um, to how and um, we train our teachers and who could uh, be trained in an alternative fashion. Um, pretty much everything is on the table. Uh, one of the interesting um, stats that my um, boss man uh, shared with me was that um, in order to fill the need that we have, we would have to go from um, 9%, which is the average of the number of Lutheran, of Lutheran high school students that come to MLC, to 20%. Wow. We'd have to go to 9 The highest we've ever been is 11%. And so it's not something that we can really recruit our way out of. We're going to have to find ways to find um, paths for people who are trained in other places or maybe people who are more tied to their community, um, find ways to train them so that they can serve our schools. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. This just dropped from the Supreme Court about uh, one of the cases of, I think it was Maine, 
Oh. Yeah, in Maine, there was a case on uh, choice education. Uh, the state of Maine was not allowing the religious schools to access the choice program. And the Supreme Court said that if a state has a choice program that's open to secular non-public schools, it has to be accessed also by the religious um, non-public schools. So that that seems like it would be a, a door, a window um, for many of our other states to... Um, allow students to have a choice in their education. And, but I bring that up in part to, based on what you just said about our teachers, is it's a wonderful thing to have, uh, you know, choice possibly. We have it here in Wisconsin and Racine, and it's a wonderful thing It kept our school open. We would have closed our school a decade ago if we would not have had school choice. But for, and it, it can help our existing schools, but uh, based on the teacher shortage, it doesn't really help for the schools, you know, for the congregations that want to start schools because where are the teachers going to come from? Well, the the interesting thing about this is that we are kind of catching up to where our EC um, schools have been, our early childhood ministries. They've had a worker shorter for years and years and have had to go to all kinds of alternative ways of finding workers. And uh, so it's it's not anything new for them. Um, it's just new for the mainstream Lutheran elementary schools and Lutheran high schools to see this kind of shortage. And and based on the way um, some of our societal trends are, it seems like our schools are going to be in higher demand, not lower demand. Uh, why would you say that? Uh, there's just uh, so many people that aren't seeing their their values reflected in the schools that they have access to in their communities. And so uh, I think we see um, throughout all 12 of our districts, only two districts didn't see um, um, increases in enrollment this last year. We had, were 9% over pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, I mean, it, I think because of the way public schools handled the pandemic and then they, they closed and then because they were on zoom and so forth parents started paying attention to what was being taught you know the wokeness and the crt and so forth and then parents started pulling their kids out and i think it was a week or two ago that kirk cameron if you remember him from growing pains you know that he has had a movie out in the theaters and is on homeschooling Hmm. and that homeschooling is just booming and so forth so yeah uh one of our schools down in illinois area they talked about uh that they were able to grow just incrementally, but you know, you know, ten, twenty in a school of eighty or ninety—that's a huge bump because of parents pulling their kids out of that uh, public school. Shall we look at the gospel? Let us look at the gospel lesson. Usually, usually you're the one that kicks that off. I thought it felt right for me to do that today. Uh, the gospel is Luke chapter seven, and if you're attending the Water of Life. Racine Campus, you'll hear a sermon on this this Sunday. I will be. Okay. I'm just going to be sitting in the pew and just relaxing. Critiquing. I think maybe sleeping. Sleeping. <laughs> I'll be taking I'm, notes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll keep them awake. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse, uh, starting with verse 36. A certain one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Just then a sinful woman from that town learned that he was reclining in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, stood behind him near his feet weeping, and began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she began to wipe them with her hair while also kissing his feet and and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would realize who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, because she is a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. He said, Teacher, say it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. The one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the larger debt forgiven. Then he told him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman... He said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you did not give me water for my feet. Yet she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. 
Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That is why she loved so much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those reclining at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right, so what's your theme for this Sunday? Jesus forgives politely. All right. So, Jeremy, I'll ask you this question first since you're preaching on it. Why was that woman there? Because it said she heard that Jesus was in, in town and she wanted to see him. Yeah. And I just had looked at it, old sermon I had preached, and that was kind of the theme of why was the woman there. You know, here was a sinful woman that had come into Simon the Pharisee's house. Kind of wonder how did she get in, but she was there, and it's because Jesus was there. And Jesus, well, I'll ask you, you this question then, Paul. Why would she come to see Jesus? How was his message so different from Simon the Pharisee and all the other Pharisees? Well, they basically did not offer her the comfort of forgiveness or the possibility of salvation. It's it's kind of interesting that um, in the Gospel of Luke, he kind of features that, that Jesus is the Savior of the unforgivable, the unloved. Uh, I, I ran across this as I was reading something that um, over 20 times in his Gospel, Luke features um, Jesus coming and speaking and featuring the forgiveness of someone who is, by societal's definition, society's definition, um, unforgivable. And so um, she she found that there was someone who she could access and receive that forgiveness from. Um, here's one for you, Pastor. Um, how is it that she was uh, wetting his feet with her tears? That, that seems kind of strange to us if we think of our Western way of eating at tables. Well, because they would all been reclining at the table, uh, kind of like your teenagers probably do when they eat. When when you were um, in the the Holy Land, did you eat at a reclined table? I was just I was thinking about that when I, I read not. that. Um, I actually went and I looked up an article on you know what did it look like? Like were there ancient like pottery shards or or reliefs of people reclining at a table? And and I I read something that said that they actually leaned on their left arm and they propped themselves up with pillows and their feet would actually be behind them. So this woman would actually not be in the way at all. She would be kind of behind Jesus doing that. I just wanted to point out that th there's a whole paragraph in my sermon where I talk about this, and oh. I, I, did, I didn't get this from Paul Patterson. So just. <laughs> and, and that's interesting, Paul, because uh, in the past, uh, I would write articles for Bread for Beggars, and I would always tie the article in with a piece of art. And I never, I never really picked up on it until what you said. The art that I had and seen is always Jesus sitting at a regular American table or mm -hmm. Western table, which, which would be in, inaccurate. Yeah. But that's, but that's the kind of imagery that appeals to people because that's what they're thinking is. But you're right. Jesus well, would have been reclining. And this is also why in, in the uh, rich man and Lazarus, it says he was carried to Abraham's side. Uh, but the word is really bosom, Abraham's chest. And then the same thing goes for Jesus uh, reclining at the Last Supper with John. And it says John was on his lap. Now, you'll see a lot of medieval artwork where John is literally, like we would say, take a little child on your lap. And John is sitting on Jesus' lap uh, because they misunderstood this. And the fact is, it was they were all reclining with their feet away from the table, head toward the table on the left arm, like you said. And so John would have been, you know, he would have leaned back into Jesus to ask him, Lord, which one is the one who's going to betray you? Um, that's how you could be in Abraham's chest. For all of you home remodelers out there, if you're thinking of uh, remodeling your home to have like reclined um, eating areas, I did read an article also that said that this is not enhanced digestion. So you might want to avoid the... Uh, reclining at the table. Well, we, we have uh, Jeremy and Paul and a bunch of our called workers at Water of Life are coming over to our house to the Zarling Jedi Temple later on this afternoon. And uh, we're not going to be reclining at any of the tables. We'll sit in regular American chairs. Pastor just invites me because he thinks he can still beat me at bags. Because hmm. 
he only plays. I didn't get to like share my dirt on you guys. You guys got to ask me. Pastor only asked me to play games that he knows he can beat me in. Um, so he'll. It's ask, not just you, Paul. It's any I, game. I, I, but it's like ping pong and bags. So like, hey, let's play. You know, and and my 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 dirt on Jer um, was. But, and as, that's why I won't play you in Ultimate Frisbee. Best. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, when uh, I was in. Uh, Sun Prairie, I would always do this uh, roast of the eighth graders. And uh, we did a song when Jeremy was a vicar on uh, um, Build Me a Buttercup. And, and Jer was all of the extra flourishes in the song. And he just he just knocked it out of the park. And it they, was they, like... They made me do the parts no, with the extra flourishes. No, no, he was, he was good at that. So uh, all of you Shoreland people who are listening, uh, Jer can not only lip sync, but he can actually do the real thing. That so might be something get him to, in on that. That might be something to resurrect next week when Jeremy and I are at the youth rally with... Sixteen yeah. of our teens. How many of going? Because we have we've sixteen got, from Water of Life going. We've got eleven Charlotte students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, if there's karaoke, this guy is your man right there. Hey, hey, hey! Yeah, you've got it, my friend. <laughs> so, so, Jeremy, how did Simon portray the typical attitude of the religious leaders of the day? Uh, well, you'll get this in my sermon. I. I I kind of think maybe we're immediately a little bit too hard on Simon. Uh, first of all, he one of the points I like to make is he invited Jesus over. And, and so as much as people like to say, well, Jesus socialized with the outcasts, he, which is true, like you were just pointing out, um, he, he hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. A lot of people like to say that. But I think this is a good example of Jesus also socialized with the hypocrites, with the uh, upper middle class uh, uh, conservative uh, religious leaders. And uh, that is... Um, it, yeah. It, Before we take too kind of a light on Simon, though, it had just said recently that they were looking to trap Jesus in his words and to find a reason to kill him. So that's not too far away from this part of Scripture, isn't well, it? One of my one of my points was that he he said if this man were a prophet in in his mind, uh, in other words, I have to think he was at least testing. For, first of all, yeah, he was at least open to the possibility that Jesus was a true prophet. And, and if you think of inviting somebody over to your house, uh, like, like uh, Pastor Zarling did for us, I, I would hope that he would at least do it politely. Um, so it, uh, before, it's, it's, he, before he crushes us. Yeah, it's in, mainly in, just like in Beach and Bakes. So he's, he's inviting us over to trap us. Yes, what, yes that's exactly right. So it, it fits this really, really yeah, closely. You can have beer and brats and so forth, yeah. but... The caveat is I have to beat you. This is actually one of the interesting parts of Scripture that is in um, a book that I have on um, when when people say there's errors in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, Because um, there's another part, I think it's either in um, John or in um, Matthew, where Simon the leper invites Jesus over and then Jesus is anointed with perfume. And so they're saying they got it wrong. They got it wrong, that it was a mistake because they got the details wrong rather than there are two people named Simon. Simon, and they were two different situations. And and actually, I, here's your here's your uh, Bible history quiz, which I'm going to throw at Pastor Lighton. Which pope mixed up <laughs> Mary Magdalene oh. and this sinful woman and made them one person in 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 a sermon? Pope Leo the Tenth. I was going to say Gregory Leo the Great. I, I found oh. that in a in a. a book that I was reading and but but he actually combined um, this person and Mary Magdalene and then the person that was writing against it said well just look in in chap- chapter 8 the very next verses in chapter 8 were introduced to Mary Magdalene the first time so um, he's saying no these are two separate purses and and persons and the church you know, has the, recognized that the teacher trained principal guy really did a lot of homework. <laughs> he, did. he did so uh, but what you're talking about there Paul is interesting I'm the book I had on the beach last week is called The Last Templar. And While well, we were at Synod Convention. Yes. Is, that what, is that what he was doing? That's yes. how far he stepped he was, out. Huh? Yes, okay. I was uh, taking my fat tire bike out on the beach and my kayak out in the ocean and f- feeding the gators. But Is Bell home? The listeners should know that he's wearing a uh, Hawaiian shirt right now. And, uh, it's not just a Hawaiian shirt. It's, it's a Star Wars. It's one. a Star Wars Hawaiian shirt. I haven't seen Bell since he got back, and he talked yeah. about feeding gators. Yeah. So I'm a little Ooh. concerned right now. Uh, 
I have no idea where I was going to go. Suspicious. <laughs> Suspicious. We distracted. Oh, anyhow, the book I was I was reading is called The Last Templar, but it, it's got a preface or a paragraph that talks about it's very similar to Dan Brown's books mm. and that, you know the Da Vinci Code and so forth. And all of those books are based on what you're talking about. Is there's some secret? And the big secret that they're trying to find in Dan Brown's books, and I'm sure it's going to be at the end of The Last Templar, is that Jesus had children with Mary Magdalene, and mm-hmm. it's all based on that Pope and what his mm-hmm. faulty sermon. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jeremy, what, you know, based on what Paul was saying, though, of Simon inviting him over, and yet what did Simon, what do you make of Simon not? doing you know certain things when he came over to his house for jesus that's where i i kind of play off my theme of politeness or or hospitality um manners a lot of people complain about good manners and that there aren't any more good manners today and um the thing is i i think that it would be easy to misinterpret what uh, jesus said to simon to say oh you should have done that you should have done this you should have done this you should have done this and, and really what Jesus is saying is you had all these opportunities to show hospitality and you took very few of them. In fact, probably almost none of them. Um, and I think that's that's important uh, thing to remember about gospel freedom is uh, we're not saying that um, you, you have to follow this set of mandates that Jesus is putting down here. The way Jesus presents it is very open and, and free. He's saying... Uh, you could have anointed my head, you didn't. You could have washed my feet, you didn't. Um, and, and that's kind of how God looks at all of our good works. It's not that you you have to do this and you should have done that. And uh, it's more like, uh, well, you have all of these ways that you could show God your thankfulness, and yet you don't. Uh, th- that's one thing I've preached on this sermon uh, actually as a Thanksgiving text once was uh, a way to say that's what thankfulness is is it's not uh maybe we could talk a little bit about the whole issue of um her many sins have been forgiven for she loved so much i like the ehv here that is why she loved so much that's a good way to put it but uh what would you say to uh you know roman catholic or a works righteousness person who says uh well, doesn't the Jesus here say that she did a good thing and that's why she's forgiven? Yeah, I don't know what you would necessarily say to the to the Roman Catholic, but I think of the people that I've had in my adult confirmation classes over the years. <clears throat> and you know, maybe you've seen this, Jeremy, as you've as a pastor in the parish and maybe Paul with your students or your students' parents of the people that appreciate the gospel. Who who appreciates the gospel the most that we minister to? I would say, you know, um, I've had many families where they've had like uh, two different sets of kids where the older kids um, kind of grew up and then there was another section of kids. So there were like older mm-hmm. kids and younger kids. And maybe things didn't go so well with the older kids in the educational choices they made for them. And so then they would come to our school for the younger kids and and they would often express, oh, if only I had done this or express a lot of regret that they hadn't made those same choices for their older students. Um, But also they would rejoice so much in that things have been had been going better or they saw the blessings of forgiveness and those things in their children's lives. Because I think of in my ministry, and I do this when I have counseling, you know, maybe the husband is just a screw up. And then I talk about how, I said, you don't know this. I know this because I'm the pastor. But you don't know this, that most of the leaders in our church, whether they're elders or councils, were really big screw-ups like you, you know, where their wives threatened to leave them or their wives did leave them and came back or whatever was going on in their lives. And now they are the ushers, their councilmen, their elders. Why? Because they've been forgiven much. And so they want to, uh, they cherish that. And that's why they're here on Sunday. That's why they're giving back, whether it's 
you know, not, not so much maybe like the woman with the tears and wiping the tears, but in their own way, their own sanctification. And I think of that of uh, sometimes I think all three of us and so many of our members, they just grew up wells and they've maybe taken the forgiveness for granted. And it's just so refreshing when you have a, a child or a family in the school or someone that's new in the church and they take that class and then they're just in tears because that forgiveness is so new to them. They've never heard it before. Or, or even if the appreciation is not shown with tears, right. that there's there's appreciation. Uh, it doesn't have to look a certain way. It just that that there is thankfulness one of my favorite uh remembers uh memories of teaching in zombroda i had a student uh who was a very active young man and would get himself into trouble a lot and uh, when i would call him to repentance it was really difficult for him to say he was sorry but the way that he said he was sorry was he would come up to me and then tell me a story and that was him saying mm-hmm. I'm trying to restore the relationship here because I want to share something with you that was important to me. And so everybody's expression is going to be different, whether it's a, a man uh, serving on the council or a lady um, wetting Jesus' feet with his tears. All of our expressions are going to look different based on um, the, the many different gifts and uh, things that the Lord have given to us. So the last question I have for you guys on this is, you know, some people will say that if you forgive someone— then that's just going to make the people sin more. What do you say to that? Well, that's the way our sinful nature might look at it. But, um, that you know, we have been freed from sin. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul says, how could I, how could I live in it any longer? I, I don't want to continue to, to um, offend and... Um, sin against my God. I want to, I want to flee from those things. So yeah, it's definitely a temptation, but that's not the gospel response. And, and it very well may happen that you, you forgive somebody and they just keep taking advantage because they perceive forgiveness as weakness. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that this is, this is what God wants us to do. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Because we can't, change hearts. We were talking about this before we started recording that another case that dropped from the Supreme Court was about Roe v. Wade and so forth. And was it Dobbs? Is that the other one? The real one before that. And uh, just because it's the the law is there, now it's going to go back to the states. It's not going to change abortions and not going to change people's hearts. You can mandate and make laws all you want. That's not going to change what's in people's hearts. The only way to change people's hearts is through law and gospel. And and the people who um, don't know Jesus don't understand that. I, I recall my very first year here in Racine, uh, a lady coming to me and saying, uh, you know, I, I've, you know, this, this person did this wrong and then you forgave him and then they did it wrong again and you forgave him again and then they did it wrong and you forgave him again. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly right. And, <laughs> and that was, that offended her sensibilities like, Hey, you know, you're giving this person too many chances. And, uh, in reality, um, the chances that we give each other are much less than what our heavenly father's given to us. Should we get into the epistle lesson? Sure. Uh, the epistle This Sunday comes from 1 Corinthians 6. I'll start with verse 9. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor males who have sex with males, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor the verbally abusive, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were those types of people. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted for me, but I will not allow anything to control me. Foods are for the belly, and the belly is for foods, but God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then remove the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For it says the two will become one flesh. 
but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. So, Jeremy, why, why do you think that Paul would write about homosexuality and sexual practices to the Christians in Corinth? He wrote about it in the beginning of Romans, in Romans chapter 1 in Corinth, but not so much to the other letters. But what makes Corinth so specific to those sexual type of sins? It was a high traffic area. Uh, it was on an isthmus that uh, you could... Well you, done on that pronunciation. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. You, you, it was a land bridge so that they could uh, transport a lot of cargo over uh, land rather than sea, and that was a lot uh, safer in, in many regards. And so, so there was a lot of business, a lot of traffic, a lot of merchandise going through there. And a lot that of in, sailors. A lot of... There you go. A lot of sailors going through there. And, uh, and so there was, uh, what I heard, it was actually in a sermon at Sun Prairie, uh, guest preacher, uh, Pastor Dan Sims, who said in the sermon, they had a term, the, uh, a Corinthian girl, that a Corinthian girl was not a flattering term to be called, that if you were a Corinthian girl, you were, um, loose, you were, you were pretty free and easy with your, uh, sexual deviancy, and um, and so and then there were there were temples. Of course, this is how the the pagan religions worshipped their false gods was by having uh, sexual intercourse with um, uh, prostitutes at the at the temples of the false gods. Well, and, and you know, just to kind of go back to the Luke reading, um, some of the houses uh, that would care for girls who were pregnant before they were married were called Magdalene houses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was, again, the misunderstanding of, of Mary Magdalene being that person in Luke 7 rather than the person whom Jesus drove seven demons from. Because mm-hmm. I remember going to, uh, to a Greek tour and we went to Corinth and I remember the tour guide talking about that there were these casts that were back from Paul's day of arms and legs, and sexual organs, and so forth. They were casts, and what you did is they would take a cast of this body part that was diseased because they would have had these sexual diseases that were spread, like uh, AIDS or monkeypox and so forth back then. And then because they had all those temples, you had that uh, disease, and then they would make a cast of that body part that was infected, and then they would give that to the god to heal. Hmm. And I just remember the whole wall uh, in the spe- specific room just filled with all these different casts of body parts because of the sexual sins that were going on in Corinth. So then, Paul, why is it so important when Paul says, this is what you were? Well, they they have given up that life um, through their their conversion to being followers of Christ. Um, but that's also the simple answer was why he was addressing it, because that's what they were. That's how what, what Paul rescued them from by sharing the gospel with them. I, I heard a, a speaker uh, by the name of Scott Barefoot mm-hmm. who um, used to live in an actively homosexual lifestyle, and uh, he mentioned that, that that is his favorite passage, is that uh, where Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 6, that is what some of you were. That was that was in the past for some, and that and that was like we we think of you know Bible history with like a flannel board of of these holy people, uh, and yet uh, this is the Corinthian congregation. All of those things that I just the sexually immoral, immoral idolaters, males who have sex with males, thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, verbally abusive, swindlers, all of that. Th- those were people in the Corinthian congregation. So we had Scott years ago here at our congregation, and he did the Bible study. And being naive to the ways of the world like I am, I promoted it, not just among our members, but on social media. 
And I remember getting some comments. We don't ever get comments on our Facebook, even though we post a lot. And there were comments from people in Racine that were saying, well, we should go and protest there. And so I let our one of our members who lives near our our church, we had two, at that time we had two members that were police officers. I let them know. I let some of our members know so that they were here early, big guys that also have concealed carry permits. And we didn't have any... Uh, there weren't any issues, but we wanted to be prepared because these are the kinds of things that upset the world. When, well, we, when and, we did this at our congregation in Salina, Kansas, this tiny little church, uh, but uh, we had a big crowd show up to hear him speak, and it, I put it on the marquee, uh, you know, that our special speaker will be talking about leaving the homosexual lifestyle, and uh, before the end of the night, there was a uh, tomato that was lodged on the marquee it's also kind of interesting that the the wisdom of god is wiser than man's wisdom where in verse 11 it says that's what some of them were and and society says this is the way that you're born and and you can't change things and and uh martin luther went into a big whole thing on this when he talked about how we feel temptations feeling temptations isn't the necessarily the problem the problem is when we feel the temptations and then we act on them and so feeling temptations is being part of the the, the human experience um and in society says oh if you feel something you know just engage in that and do all those things and and here um scripture tells us no no you can um, change who you are and and what you pursue um through through christ and his saving message well, now is going to be my next question to you guys is, what do you say to your students? Because sadly, it's getting younger and younger. So imagine you were still back in the in the grade school, Paul, or now you, Jeremy, in the high school, because it's probably more so in our high schools, even at Shoreland, is what do you say to those 7th and 8th graders, to those uh, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors who say they're gay? bisexual, whatever, and because they, they say they can't change. They're born this way. Well, I mean, Paul answers it later by saying that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And and since we honor and and uh, raise up Jesus as the, the main part of our life, we're going to honor him with our body and, and save sexual activity until we're married. And so if people and, are... And married... But to whom? Well, well, it says clearly in Scripture uh, uh, that God made man for woman and woman for man. So, um, well, I just you would think that that would make sense in our day, but we're living in a culture where the hottest documentary did, right now is what is a woman because people can't define what a woman is. I did have a student last year who I was talking about the sixth commandment and and marriage, and uh, it was we were going through the large catechism, and Luther is making the point that marriage is a sacred thing. Uh, it's very sacred, and uh, uh, I, I I forget the wording exactly, but it was it was something to the point of uh, even people in foreign cultures uh, recognize that marriage is sacred. They they elevate marriage and make a big deal about a wedding, uh, and so it doesn't really matter who is getting married to whom. And there was a student who made the point as I was making as I was trying to teach this that that said. So marriage is sacred no matter what? And I was like, yes. And and she said, so when two people get married, that's sacred? And I, I was starting to see where she was headed with that. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. It, it's important to define exactly what we mean, man and woman. Right. And well, it even references the, the Genesis thing where it talks about the two will become flesh. I mean, so there is a reference way back to the beginning, the order that God had created with men and women. And I think this is important, too, in our culture. Uh, right now, the movie that is supposedly kind of popular that dropped last week was Lightyear. So it's like the fifth in the whole Toy Story canon. And it, it's uh, you know supposed to be the toy Buzz Lightyear is based on this real astronaut, who's still a cartoon. But the big thing is there's a lesbian kiss between two women who are married to each other. And uh, Pixar, you know, Disney is very woke. Pixar is even more so. And I love, you know, Shelly and I, on our honeymoon, we, that's where we went to Disney. We had an annual pass to Disney. We have all these pictures in our basement from Disney. and But things have changed over the years from when Walt died. 
and it is very woke. And the thing is, is that little segment of that kiss that was cut from the movie until the Florida law, but people, uh, the left called don't say gay bill. Then Disney Pixar, they stuck it back in to stick it back to the public. And I don't know if you guys have paid attention. What's happened in that movie. It, they made 55 million the first weekend, which sounds really good. But when you spend 200 million plus on the movie, it's a bomb. And people are kind of is are getting tired of this stuff of of uh, these corporations, our government, and so forth, is shoving all of this sexuality into our faces. I, I hear this expression kind of regularly that all education is coercive, and 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 that's actually pretty true. Um, for example, um, I was a cross country coach for many many years, and I would always teach my kids in cross country. Uh, the game Ultimate, so that I could play Ultimate. I, I taught them that so that I would have people to play with. And I think that's that re- is reflected in our culture, where w- um, our culture is trying to ram down these specific values that that actually try to reinforce their own beliefs so that they can be reinforced and feel better about the things that they obviously feel guilty about. And and so it's, it's sad that um, we have to deal with that with our young people, but that just... You know, as far as, you know, me being a teacher goes, that's that's why it's so important for parents to be aware of what their kids are watching, because all shows, all things have a message. And does that message um, add or uh, support your worldview and your Christian viewpoint or does it take away from it? And, and parents really need to be paying attention to that. They do. Did they you do. did you uh, watch the new Doctor Strange movie that came out? I did not. It, I thought it was pretty good. But uh, whoa, again. Whoa, whoa, hold on a second. This is uh, groundbreaking here in the uh, the uh, podcast. There's a Marvel movie that Pastor Lightning watched that Pastor Zarling has that not. That is a good point. Yes, this is. But um, I have c- seen Please all mark time. mark this episode. By the because way, Obi Wan Kenobi. I, I have seen all of six Obi Wan. That was disappointing. Oh, I gotta oh. say, that was disappointing. Why? What was disappointing about it? It was. You have seen that too. I, we, we'll talk about that at your house later. Too. My so, goodness! So <laughs> you've seen Obi Wan all six episodes. All six episodes. Holy cow! I am I am really behind. I thought I was <laughs> I thought I was going to be six episodes up on you behind and then behind on Doctor Strange. But the Doctor Strange one, it's got it's got woke stuff. Friends it's of the podcast, this is a special one. You're definitely going to want to mark this podcast to come back <laughs> yes. to. Yeah, you are up on me. But uh, you asked about teaching this, and I, yeah. I wish I could remember these off the top of my head, but I haven't done as much preparation as uh, Mr. Patterson for this <laughs> episode. Um, but I, I heard a sermon one time that I've used ever since on my uh, cate- teaching the catechism uh, based on 1 Corinthians 6, where the, the preacher, uh, Pastor Bart Brower, made a whole list of things that are uh, critical for why your uh, sexual purity is so important based on these words of Paul in the at the end of chapter 6 here. And uh, just, uh, well, one of them is uh, you are not your own. Uh, I think that's important when, when we talk about, you know, my body, my choice. Uh, no, actually, you belong to Jesus, um, so you are not your own. Uh, and that's true of husbands and wives too. You, your your body is not your body; it's your spouse's body. If you really want to be married, that's what marriage is. It's you give your body over to your spouse, and your spouse gives uh, his or her body over to you. Um, you are not your own. And we uh, gave that dating advice to our children when they would be dating. We're like. Um, that is either your spouse or someone else's spouse, and yeah. you need to be careful with that person and honor that person's future spouse um, by the way that you treat them and in the activities that you engage in. See what I my advice that I give to anyone that's dating my daughters, especially now my youngest daughter, is it, that you're gonna you have a gun? Is that what it is? No, is oh, okay. No, oh, sorry. It's that, because it, it's that I <laughs> that I have an axe throwing con- mm-hmm. contest in my backyard, and that bell. The, the one that they're going to be dating now because she's the youngest one is uh, the youngest daughter is she's a better axe than and I, you guys are going to come over and throw axes she will beat all of us and that's the thing that I do is I take the guys out there is see if you can beat Belle you can worry about me but mainly worry about about her but anyhow yeah. the, the one other point that I wanted to make from that sermon that I heard about this uh, 1 Corinthians 6 is uh, resurrection 
And again, this kind of goes back to my whole new heavens and new earth thing that your, your body, but that's, that's the point. Your body is going to be resurrected. And Paul says that very clearly here, that your, your body is, a, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. That was another one. Uh, but uh, your body is not just going to be buried in the ground and then forgotten forever. It will be resurrected someday, just like Jesus' body was resurrected. So treat it like something in this life, in this life. Treat it like something that is sacred because it's going to be a resurrected body someday. That, that's an excellent point because Paul was actually making that point earlier when he was saying, all things are permissible for me. That was um, what they were probably arguing, saying, hey, it doesn't really matter right? The only thing that matters is the spiritual. The body and the spirit are different things. And, 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 and that's why the quotation marks uh, include, but God, will dis- but God will do away with both of them. God's going to just destroy our bodies anyway, so who cares? Right. It's not a big deal. And then I think it's interesting how he says um, the body, uh, let's see, foods are for the belly and the belly is for food. Another argument that they must have been giving as in, uh, well, I have these desires and so I need to carry them out. And, and rather than that, we need to, to be masters of our desires rather than just let them run rampant over everything. And, and so our, our call as Christians is to glorify God with our body. Now, I'm not a 17-year-old, and and I remember being a 17-year-old, and that's not an easy thing. And that's why, um, you know, fellowship with people who believe similar things to you is fruitful, because you all hold each other to that standard. Um, Otherwise, it's super easy for young people to go off by themselves and get sucked into this temptation. And the pastor I was biking with this morning, too, he brought up an interesting thing that he... I thought it was a teacher. Well, I, I biked with two guys. I can oh. do that. Over 50 miles. We, uh, but anyhow, he, Pastor Wershke, who was a guest, he brought up someone he knows that the, the, her body is so messed up in that uh, it doesn't burn calories. It, it, it's just a weird thing. And, but she, and she doesn't really have the taste of food either. So it's really, really messed up. And yet... So she eats healthy. She puts only healthy body. Because I asked him, I asked him while we were biking, is so is she like really big? She said, no, she's really small because she knows that her body doesn't burn calories. It's just not doing what it's meant to do. Mm-hmm. So she puts the right things into her body, and uh, and I and I bring that up because that's what we're talking about here. Whether it's food, but he's also talking about sexuality. Uh, not men with men, women with women, women or what, whatever it is, uh, that uh, or premarital sex. Uh, you know, Jeremy, you talked about my body, my choice. I saw a video the other day of someone at some women's march as they were talking about abortion, and he asked the question. So, my body, my choice, choice with abortion, and women are all for that. And then he asked, "What about for for the vaccine?" And then they stumble over their words. <laughs> so that was that was kind of funny. Uh, I got two questions yet uh, for you guys. What, so what do you say to someone who believes that it's unloving to point someone else's sin out, as you call them, to repentance? Because we live in a culture where you can't curb someone's appetite. You can't shut off their feelings. And if we do, it's it's hurtful. They say it's harmful. It's hate speech. And even when we do it, a lot of times is not to call to repentance. So what do you say to someone as you're trying to call them back to Christ? I think it, it really depends on how you approach it. If you're approaching it in with an attitude of, hey, you're wrong, I'm calling you out, um, boom, I just roasted you on Twitter or whatever, um, that's not the, the, the way that Christ is calling us to call our brothers to repentance. It's, it's to express a genuine concern for their soul and a genuine concern for their spiritual welfare. Um, so sometimes you have to, to sit down with someone and say, what I'm about to say to you is, is really difficult for me to say because I treasure our friendship, but it's something that you need to hear because I'm afraid that your, your soul is in danger. And, and I think, again, it kind of goes back to earlier in the podcast when we talk about relationships, um, you're not going to just do that out of the blue. That's going to be something that you're going to lean on the strength of your relationship to be able to do something like that. And that's one of the things I said recently in a sermon, and I, based on a conversation I had with my seventh graders about asking them, well, should you be friends with someone who's gay? And they all think, and I've asked this question for years, and they all answer the same way, well, no, 
no, you should be friends. I said, because they're not going to listen to me. Because like you said, Paul, I don't have a relationship with them. But you do. And if you call them out of that relationship based on your relationship of love, that's the key. You know, the, the challenge, I think, for us is that we're not the Son of God. You know, we're not Jesus who, who can do all of the episodes that he was interacting with people perfectly. And so for us, it's a real big challenge is by befriending them, are we in some way condoning that behavior? And, and so that's maybe where people are afraid. You know, if, if, I, if I have a relationship with this person, does it appear that I'm saying this is okay? And, um, you know, all our lives aren't like the tiny, small episodes that we see in the gospel. Um, we have long-term relationships over time. And, and so I think it's really important to have that friendly relationship. But don't all of a sudden bring God out of the blue. You know, as long as that's in and, and um, encompassing all all of the conversations that you've had in the past, there is a place for that. And I think that the people that that are around you will actually come and ask you questions because of how you live that faith out in the blue. I was just talking to uh, a principal today um, who was um, talking about their non-members and how they would um, try to, to reach out to them with Jesus. And I said, well, what we tried to do is introduce our pastor and our um, chaplain as soon as we could in the process of their enrollment so that they were understanding that that they're part of your child's education and the spiritual conversations that are going to come out of all the things that happen at school are a natural part of the 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 process of our education. If it's uh, if they never see the pastor until something is going wrong, um, there's never going to be that relationship. There's never going to be the opportunity to really share Christ with them. So the last question I have for you, Jeremy, is looking at specifically verse 11, but throughout, how did Paul because we've talked a lot about law here and calling to repentance. So how did Paul weave the gospel in here? Well, verse 11 uh, talks about baptism. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Sanctified means you were set apart, you were made different. So uh, everybody else may be saying in Corinth, uh, I've got an appetite, i got to feed my appetite, uh, but you're different. And God made you different, and that's that's not saying now be different. It, it, that that's a big difference. It's it's you are different. You're already forgiven. Uh, that that is a done deal, and it's not about you uh, making yourself right. Uh, you were justified. You were declared right in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting how God always speaks things and they, he speaks them into existence. And and you see that here. He's declaring something. It is just the way it is. It's not it should be, but it is. And and that's the beauty of the gospel over the law. All right, fantastic. So this is Michael Zarling with Principal Paul Patterson and Buzz Lightning. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. 